Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. All right. Hello, everybody. How are you? This is Brad Listy. I am in Los Angeles. This is The Other People Show. I hope you are doing okay wherever you are. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. So it's Friday. It's another flashback episode. I'm going to be talking with Melissa Phoebos, an outtake from episode 460 from April 5th, 2017. That is today's flashback. I hope you had a good week. The summer, is it almost over? I guess it's getting closer. It's August. Feels like it went by in a blur. Everything feels like it goes by in a blur. Life speeds up as you get older, doesn't it? It feels that way. You got to try to slow it down somehow. Pay attention. Don't waste your time. This is what I tell myself. And yet, I often feel like I'm wasting my time or I'm not being time efficient. I'm not getting enough done. I'm not doing the things I want to do. I'm not achieving enough. So you just got to try to take it easy. I don't know what the answers are. It's hard. Try to get out more. I need to get out more. See people. Talk to people. I owe people phone calls. People owe me phone calls. Does anybody talk on the phone anymore? I don't think so. I do. Am I the last person on earth who likes to talk on the phone? I'll talk to you on the phone. I'll call you. I'll FaceTime you. People are scared. I have a friend, good buddy of mine. Haven't talked to him in years. I think he's scared of the telephone. I think he smoked so much pot, he lost the ability to have a conversation over the phone. I think he has a panic attack when I call him. Doesn't answer. I leave him voicemails, no response. But he will text me. So, Melissa Phoebos, episode 460, April 2017, six years ago. How is so, you know, the time has just gone by. Melissa Phoebos has been on this show multiple times. So, this is one of her appearances on the show that we will be revisiting today. She was actually my guest in episode two. 
She was my second ever guest on this show. And now she is the author of four books. She has another book coming out called The Dry Season. It's forthcoming from uh, Knopf. Her essay collection, Girlhood, was a national bestseller, a Lambda Literary Award finalist, and it won the National Book Critics Circle Award in criticism. I got very excited when that happened because I feel like I've been along for the ride with Melissa's you know, career, starting with her first book, Episode 2, and she wins the National Book Critics Circle Award. I remember uh, after, like, the, like, as I found out, I sent her a message and I was like, oh my God, now you're going to get a New York Times obituary. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but it's true, right? Isn't that what we all want in the end? Just an NYT obit? Incidentally, this is a monologue like I used to do on this program. Maybe because they're flashback episodes, I should do actual Brad Listy monologues in the flashback episodes where I just sit here and talk. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about this part of it. It's hard to do when you're doing as many episodes as I do to have something to say, at least if you're me. And then I also don't want to annoy people. I feel like it's annoying for somebody to jabber into a microphone like this, though many people I sound like Donald Trump. Many, many people are saying that the, the monologues are actually enjoyable. I have had people tell me that. I do have people now and again reach out to me and say, whatever happened to the monologue? But the truth is that, you know, when it comes to the interviews, the interviews are the main event. And it's just, you know, in the interest of efficiency, it's like, let's just get to the interview. I don't have anything to say, usually. Or if I do, do I really need to say it? So, Melissa Phoebos, episode 460 from April 5th, 2017. I should mention that the full episode is available in the feed, as are all episodes of this show. All of the episodes of The Other People Show are accessible to listeners wherever you get your podcasts. So, have at it. If you like this outtake from episode 460 and you want to listen to the full conversation, you can do that. So before we get started, a quick reminder that I do an email newsletter once a week, and it is free, and you can subscribe to it. I would love it if you would subscribe to my newsletter over at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. It's once a week. I let you know about the latest episodes of the show, and... I share links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting. That is it. So if you want to hear from me once a week in your inbox, go sign up for the newsletter at bradlisty.com or otherppl.com. Likewise, if you want to join the Other People Patreon community, the community of podcast superfans who support this show and help sustain it, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. There are different options. It's a sliding scale. You can get merchandise. Check it out. Keep the show going. Patreon.com slash other PPL pod. 
All right, so let's get to it. An outtake from episode 460, a flashback to episode 460, April 5th, 2017. My conversation with Melissa Phoebos. Are you ready? Here we go. I remember I, dro- I dropped you off in like Silver Lake. That's like the last time I saw you was dropping you yeah, off Yeah, I was there. meeting with some producers about, who didn't make a movie about, out of my first book. Yeah. Bastards. They never do. They never do. They never make it. You have to. So I, th- I feel like we're at the point now where like if you want anything done, you just have to do it yourself. It's true. I mean, I feel like I knew that when I was a child. Yeah. Like, why do I have to keep realizing that? But I feel like Whip Smart would, is great material for a movie. I mean, obviously. <laughs> but they just they just couldn't get the funding that's or the... what they say i mean i don't i don't know people in la are so full of horseshit that whoever knows what they really think hey everybody if you are a writer or an aspiring writer or if you just love literature i have a book for you it's called truth is the arrow mercy is the bow a diy manual for the construction of stories it is the long-awaited craft book by steve almond based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Do you think that, I mean, is it, okay, this is a question I often have because I've lived here for a long time. Is it the nature of entertainment? Yes. Is it different? Are people full of horse shit everywhere? Or it's like, what, what is it that makes people so full of shit in the entertainment industry? I mean, there is horse shit everywhere to be sure, but the particular, like just cannons of sunshine being blown up everyone's skirt is particular to LA. I found. Yeah. Like I've I've noticed, I always joke about this. Uh, I probably joked about it on this show before, but like when you get email correspondence that is entertainment industry related, I've noticed that there is uh, a heavy use of the word love in all caps. (laughs) Like, I love this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's amazing. Like, it's always like, it's not only like, I love it, but I love it in all caps. And then they really don't love it. Yeah. In New York, I think they're... I mean, there may be an equal amount of horseshit, but it manifests in very different areas. I mean, people are more full of horseshit about themselves, you know, and here people are like blowing their horseshit at other people. It's like a false reflection, you know, and, and I, you know, in my few sort of entanglements with like the entertainment industry here, I was shocked every single time at the ability of people native to the industry and to this place who still believe it. Yeah. Even I was like, this isn't going to happen. Well, like, it's, it's very insular and, uh, 
I feel like there's like a, it's like a tribal thing. There's an inside language. People, people just love to sort of talk about stuff. They love to use yeah. the language. They love to make snarky comments. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of inside jokes, you know? Yeah. And it makes me think it's like this, um, everybody's just decided to co-sign the same delusion and they're just like skipping through it until they bump up against the rude reality of it. But they do it over and over and over again. It's sort of like, you know, I actually wrote about this in the book, the, uh, you know, when Frank L. Baum wrote, uh, the, uh, the Oz, I forget its actual title, but you know, what didn't get translated into the movie was that all of the people of the city of Oz wear these green goggles that make it look like emeralds, but it's not, it's just like a shitty town <laughs> and they wear these green goggles and it makes everything look beautiful. And I feel like LA and particularly the entertainment industry is kind of like that. Everybody's just got their green goggles on and they're like, isn't it beautiful? And I come from New York and I'm like, it smells like piss and there's starving cats everywhere. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're going to be a star, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like L.A. I, I was thinking about uh, that today, thinking about you coming over because it was cloudy when I woke up. And I was like, oh, no, like Melissa's in town and she's got to see L.A. when it's cloudy. And I always feel like the real ugliness of L.A. comes out when it's yeah. cloudy, like it's meant to be viewed in sunshine. Yes. And when it's not, you're like, oh, this yeah. is a disaster. <laughs> yeah. It's like you need to activate all the reflective surfaces for L.A. to do its to do its work. Although I will say I had a friend come into town to New York recently and it was like, just post a snowstorm, but a few days. And I was like, wow, it's freezing cold. It's raining. There's filthy snow and it smells like feces. But I, but I feel like the immediate aftermath of a snowstorm or during like a blizzard in New York mm -hmm. is like maybe one of the best times to be it there. Is. Everything's it is. covered in that like white blanket. It's, it's quiet. It's never that quiet any other time, I right. think. but it has to be right. Like seven minutes afterwards it's already just like filthy <laughs> people are peeing in the snow yeah, like seven it's just minutes like later there's like a lasagna of layers of ice and dog shit and trash uh, but for those first six minutes it's beautiful so you're out here mm -hmm. you've, you've been on tour for how long i've been on tour for like two and a half weeks and you're liking it i do i like it i mean i i mean in a sort of more universal way i think sitting alone for seven years with my own mind it leaves me starving for this side of it but also i'm an extrovert i love traveling i love airplanes i love hotels i love like frenetic social activity i love talking about myself i love being clapped for so all that stuff <laughs> yeah doesn't exhaust you did, did you do you derive energy from it i derive energy which is the definition of an extrovert right yeah. like i i derive energy from interacting with other people and but you know i have to say i took six months of celibacy this year or last year i guess now and something happened it was like i I encountered my introverted parts and Wait, what do you mean? Six months of celibacy, meaning like I did not have sex or flirt or go on dates oh. for six months. Okay. But then this was enforced or this is just how your life turned out. No, this was a decision oh. that I had to make. Why? Because I had been in relationships since I was 15, basically with no interruption. And I had this incredibly harrowing relationship that I wrote about. Right. Um, and after that I was like, I need a break. And then I proceeded to get into four miniature relationships and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to be more intentional about it because my patterns are so engraved. Is it like sex addiction or is it just like, you're just so used no. to it? I, I think it's not definitely not sex addiction. There might be, you know, I'm an addict for sure. I have the biological gift of addiction. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm Thanks, really Dad. good at convincing myself <laughs> that I'm dependent on things that are actually harming me. But, but no, I think that I just, 
like love. I like people. I like being partnered. I'm pretty good at relationships and you wouldn't know that from this book, but in general, or, but like, and you're also, you also must be good at attracting like uh, people, like people do relationships come to you. <laughs> they do actually. They do. Yeah. I think that, because there are a lot of people who I, I think would love to be constantly I have in the, relationships. I know, you know, this is one of those things, and I'm even having a moment of inhibition about talking about it while it's being recorded because, like, there's not a lot of pity in the city for people who, like, fall in love too much and have right. too many relationships right. and are always having to break up with people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough life. All this love coming um, at me. Like, I had a friend once say, like, yeah, I really sympathize for what you're going through, but also, like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> there know? are people, there are people who... And I, I was kind of this way. Like I just was, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of more introverted. I wasn't out and about when I did go out. It wasn't like women. I mean, or if women were like interested in me, like I would miss the signals. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, like, yeah, I think I'm basically the opposite because what happened was I took the six months. It was actually three months of celibacy and it was so glorious that I extended it for another three months. Why was it so glorious? What was it? Like you just, cause it was new. I don't know. I no. I had had. You know, that part of like being a love oriented person and an interaction oriented person, it means that I, I just get involved. Like I am interested and curious and conscious of the needs of other people and just automatically sort of accommodate those and react to those. And I had never as an adult woman been alone with my own instincts and preferences. And so there was all this new information and I had thought that it would be difficult, right? Because you would sort of assume that a person who had never been alone had some, you know, subterranean or maybe not subterranean could, fear of being alone. Could you masturbate? Like, well, would you yes, allow, or like, yes. it wasn't like some like austere yeah. thing. Yeah. But I didn't like feverishly masturbate. It was totally normal masturbation. It was okay. like everything. It was so much easier than I thought. And I had actually interviewed this because I was going to write about it and I probably will eventually. I interviewed this like expert, this like relationship psychologist. And she said she thought it was going to be so hard. It was going to be incredibly hard that I might become deeply depressed and that I might even become suicidal and that I needed to lash myself to the mast. Like, uh, what's his name with the sirens? I, I don't know. Like, I don't um, know mythology. Odysseus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had to lash myself to the mast cause it was going to be that hard. And she, couldn't have been more wrong because it was just like, I loved being alone so much. And it was so nice because it was like, Oh, it wasn't like this yawning vacuum of existential grief waiting. It was just that I had been sort of habitual about entering into relationships and like building my life around another person. And when I didn't do that, I had this sudden access to who I was and myself and my own, um, wants and needs and pleasures in a way that I had never had before. Okay. So two questions. First of all, did you curtail your social life in any way? Like, did you change the way you operated socially? No, but I mean, in a sense, because I've always been sort of a rabid socializing person. I just like have a lot of friends. I live in New York. I do a lot of events. I'm, you know, I just like, I'm an extrovert. Yeah. Um, but I also pour so much energy into relationships that it's this incredible expenditure of energy, right? I'm like pouring it into the relationship, pouring it into the social life, pouring it. I also write a lot. And so it was like literally no time really spent alone with myself that wasn't writing or like jogging, you know? Yeah. And so I didn't spend less time with my friends, but you subtract the relationship piece of the pie and suddenly I had time and that time ended up devoted to time spent 
by myself and with myself and you're like um, i'm actually really amazing like wandering <laughs> i was like i don't like you <laughs> i was like you're wandering around person. my house and you know like i discovered that i have these introverted aspects where like you have to if you're a writer I if didn't you're spending that much to, time alone looking at a screen yeah there would just be times where i like didn't even want to text anyone didn't want to talk on the phone i just wanted to like be home and putter around and like eat pickles in the middle of the night in my underwear <laughs> and like like read one page of six different books and then right. whack off and go to bed you know and like i've never done that ever <laughs> what do you yeah i don't know what, what have you been waiting for my god like, i mean you know, but and did know. you, did you think though that, uh, or do you think in retrospect that part of the reason why it was so enjoyable and you were able to do it, um, with, you know, relative effortlessness is because you knew that it was finite. You're like, I'm going to, you know, if, if, if this was something that you felt like you might never escape, I think right. that's where the depression sets in. It's yeah. like people who are sort of like eternally single just cannot find somebody of, of which there are many people, many and, you know, that's where it starts to get depressing, where it's like, yeah. you know, it's been a decade since I've been in a relationship or it's been even a year, two years. Like, yeah, that's tough. I know. I know. And that's, I think that's why I haven't, I have to find a way to write about it. That's not just hateful. Why do you that think that doesn't you... make people <laughs> hate but... me? Because I do think like I have a, I have a pretty acute awareness of that. And yet also like the other side of it, my problem is it's also real, you know, like not ever, I think what it really boils down to, and this is so tedious, if you've ever been in therapy or read a self-help book is just not having a respect for my own boundaries or my own solitude. And just like, you know, I, I took a long car trip with a good friend of mine recently and she was like, well, tell me like the story of how you ended up celibate. Cause I was, it was, this was like at the end of the celibacy. And I told her sort of the story of my last few years. And she was like, so do you just agree to people who want to be in a committed relationship with you. And I was like, no. And then I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like if they ask enough times, like I just can't say no more than once. It takes so much for me to be like, no. And if I'm attracted to them, I'm just like, okay. So, okay. So here's it. Like you have your celibate period. It was six months. Yeah. You have a, you have a, a day of, of, uh, what is it? The finish line. You're done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So whatever day this is, it's like a Tuesday. It was November say. 16th. Okay. So November, <laughs> <laughs> so November 16th, celibacy ends November 17th. Are you in a relationship? <laughs> no. Um, it was <laughs> you actually went out the next day and fell it in love. It was really interesting. Cause I got on the apps and, and like, I really had had to clean house to do the celibacy because I realized I had all these little like things, you know, yeah. like sort of interests, like simmering pots and like very back burners. And, and I was just like, no, 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 no. I sort of like eradicated them all because I wanted to really do this thing. And, and so it wasn't like there was no one around and that was fine. And I had so, I had so enjoyed my own company and so enjoyed my solitude and so enjoyed being fully present for my friendships and my family and my work, like in a way that I had literally never been before. It's wise. I think I to, was in no hurry. Yeah. But I, I mean, in, people who have people who literally jump from relationship to relationship to relationship and I never have a period of being single. I think you're, I think you're wise to press pause and like yeah. have some time to do that. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could take credit for, I sort of feel like God, just 86 to me or my own psyche or my Buddha mind or whatever. It was just like, you're done. You're cut off. Go home. Really? Somebody call someone to come get you. Yeah. Well, yeah like what precipitated the decision? Like, did you have like a, a, a come to Jesus with yourself? Like no, it was like the same way that I stopped doing everything that I do ceaselessly, which is that I just 
do it until I physically cannot anymore. And I had just been like relationship, 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 relationship. And then after this like extremely harrowing, excoriating, tormented relationship, the ones after it, it was like a friend of mine was like, you're doing the same thing you always do, but the lifespan is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And now it's like three months instead of three years. And then I would just like meet someone and they would be like, Hey, and I would be like, no. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I was just, they don't like, even have to say, Hey, they just look at you. Yeah. And I was just like, no, <laughs> you know? And the funny thing is when I came out of it, the same thing happened where I was like, so into being alone and it was actually repulsive for me to imagine waking up with someone else in my bed or in my, where I was just like, when I can't even, I know that I will want that. And, you know, as an epilogue, I am now in love again. And I totally want to, like, drink their spit and be attached <laughs> to them. But um, but it was, like, repulsive. Like, I could not even imagine wanting someone else, specifically, like, in my apartment in the morning. Like, that space felt so good to inhabit alone that I was like, no. And I went on these dates, but I was still me. So I think I was attracting the same people, same kind of person. So it would be, like, these people, I would go on dates, and they would be like let's be fucking obsessed with each other. And I'd be like, we don't, you're crazy. Like, you're what are you talking women? about? Women? Mostly women. Yeah. Okay. Cause like, I feel, I mean like this is sort of the cliche, but like, what's the, what's the joke? Like the, what do you call It's Like the U-Haul, U-Haul. Uh, to lesbian it's second, it's date. second date. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I like, that makes some sense to me because women, I don't yeah. know the intimacy thing and yeah, the way that like women testosterone attach. Testosterone is just like a time release capsule for attachment. You know what I mean? It's like, that's how I sort of think of it. Like women are all about, attachment and so like you get too you know positively charged you know like i don't know enough about physics to really follow this analogy but but there's just like nothing you just go you just go you You move in you're in but there have to be so many instances where all of a sudden you look up like a month later and you're like wait a minute we live together yeah we don't even like each other (laughs) it's happened to me so many times (laughs) i mean it got to a point this was part of the celibacy too where my mother with whom i'm very close and knows me very well said with much affection, Melissa. Um, I'd like to make a request. And I was like, yeah. And she said, um, I'd like you to stop bringing people home who I'm never going to see again. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, because you don't want to get attached. And you're like, she how serious like, is I this? I put all this energy into getting like getting to know them. It takes energy away from spending time with you or your brother. Right. And then they disappear forever. So like, maybe you should impose a minimum time limit before you bring them home like six months yeah or like it takes time to get to know somebody all right everybody there we have it this week's flashback episode my conversation with melissa phoebos in episode 460 from april 5th 2017 such fun talking with her and don't forget you can listen to the full conversation if you want to Just go find the episode, episode 460, it's in the feed. All episodes of The Other People Show are available to you. You can read Melissa's books if you want to, they're excellent. Body Work, Abandon Me, Girlhood, Whip Smart, and the new one, forthcoming from Knopf, it is called The Dry Season. So get ready for that. The Other People Podcast is offered freely. All episodes of the show are made available to listeners without restriction. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. 
If you love the show, join the Patreon community and help keep this thing going. Patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. You can do that at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. It's free. If you want to do me a favor, rate this podcast wherever you listen. Rate it, review it. It helps the show in the algorithm. It helps it find new listeners. It helps the rankings, all of that stuff. If you would like to get another People t-shirt, you can do that at otherppl.com. They're good t-shirts. And finally, I have a novel out, my latest novel, published in 2022. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So if you want to read my book, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. All right, so coming up on Sunday, there's going to be a new Craftwork episode, a conversation with Kathleen Schmidt founder and CEO of Kathleen Schmidt Public Relations. She is a longtime industry veteran and the author of a fast-growing Substack newsletter called Publishing Confidential. We had a great conversation about why the publishing industry is broken and how perhaps to fix it. So that is coming up on Sunday. Kathleen Schmidt and I talking about how fucked up publishing is. You ready? Stay tuned.